Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, Pulsecast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of Pulsecast. Hi, I'm Amanda Safdar, IAOP's Managing Director of Global Events and Member Services, and I'm excited to share with you a recent webinar recording brought to us jointly by IAOP's Voice of the Customer and IAOP's Sales and Marketing Chapters. This session turned the tables by asking if a customer is a good customer rather than if a supplier is a good supplier. This was a high energy panel discussion between suppliers and customers where we heard expectations of a customer sourcing executive and supplier VPs as they engage in a dialogue that will ultimately help the supplier meet their customers' goals. Enjoy. Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are, everybody. Today we wanted to talk about how to be a good customer. Traditionally, when customers are viewing the success of their outsourcing, folks to perform reasonable. So there's plenty of water cooler type talk, anecdotal and informal information about the supplier strengths and weaknesses. But today, we're going to turn the tables, and we're going to ask a different question. We're going to ask, am I a good customer, and am I doing the best I can as a customer to help make the outsourcing relationship and engagement a success? So to, the goal of today's panel discussion is to understand what can we as customers do to improve the results of the outsourcer's performance for our business. I'm very interested in hearing the recommendations from our two supplier executives on how they believe customers can help increase the success of the outsourcing results, as well as our customer executive, who is going to share his insights on, he op on how he optimizes the outsourcing results. So with that, I turn it over to Kyle Andrew, who's our moderator today. He's chairman of IAOP Sales and Marketing Chapter, and he will get the panel discussion underway. Great, Sherry. Thank you very much, and welcome, everyone. I'm, I'm very excited about this. We, we like to find ways to join with some other chapters to bring some great content, and Sherry and I discussed this back at IAOP in February, and she came up with the topic, and I'm, I'm excited to to be a part of that. So today we have a, uh, a great uh, a great panel um, and three people. Uh, as as she said, we've got a uh, we've got a uh, provider and uh, two suppliers. I'm sorry, a, a customer and two suppliers. And I'd like to just introduce them first one by one, and then I'm going to give each of them a minute or so to discuss. Uh, kind of what they bring to the table. What, are the, what, is, their, what is their viewpoint? So first, I'm going to introduce uh, Michael Nacarado. He is a buy-side ambassador for IOP. Uh, Michael has designed, developed, and implemented multiple global outsourcing programs in India, the Philippines, Costa Rica, and the Caribbean, uh, therefore, therefore providing his business partners with key strategic opportunities to increase operational effectiveness, efficiencies, and strengthen the business community. Michael is very engaged with IOP. In fact, he currently sits on the Strategic Advisory Board. He's a certified outsourcing professional. He chairs the IOP's Texas chapter, and he's also the co-chair of the Voice of the Customer chapter, which is part of this meeting today. He's also a regular workshop speaker at annual outsourcing summit. So if you've been to IOP, there's, there's a chance that you've met and had a chance to chat with, with Michael. So Michael, why don't I give you uh, a minute here to just kind of talk about your viewpoint and what you plan to bring to today's discussion. All right, thank you, Kyle, I appreciate that. Um, I'll start off by explaining my role in, in my organization. We, I run third-party risk management and also have some other responsibilities here um, at Transamerica with uh, procurement and records information management, and we have some SOX controls uh, team that, that helps support a, a well-rounded third-party risk uh, program. 
we are a separate group. I'm, I'm not the business. I'm not the one outsourcing um, the, the business processes, but I am a first line business partner. I, I'm there every step of the way with the business uh, to help them through each of the um, outsourcing life cycle phases and then making sure we're obviously in compliance with um, our internal policies as well as um, whichever uh, regulator, um, state or federal regulator that we're under. So what, what the advantages of that model is, it allows our, our business partners to really concentrate on, on the business while we help support them and, and navigate um, you know, the dynamics of the end-to-end -end outsourcing life cycle. And it, you know, this is a topic I'm really passionate about. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I dug out an old presentation I had presented at the European Summit in Frankfurt back in 2015, and it was all about how we get value uh, out of the relationship. Um, and I keep telling my business partners that it, it's a we, it's not a, it's not a us versus them. And where we have very specific roles and responsibilities in helping our partner. Um, and we chose that partner, right? And, and we have very clear responsibilities in helping our partner uh, be successful. So hopefully through this uh, conversation, we'll be able to talk about a couple of very specific areas um, where us as the client um, have a critical role in our uh, partner success. Great, Michael, thanks very much for that perspective. Next, I'd like to introduce Vijay Verma. Uh, Vijay is one of the key leaders who set the foundation of HCL's infrastructure business in North America and further engineered his success as the business line became synonymous with global leadership and service excellence. He has spearheaded strategic transformation programs for many Fortune 500 clients, helping them increase value through effectiveness, efficiency, and customer sat all at the same time. A career HC light and part of HCL senior management trainee program, VJ has held many positions, including founding partner of HCL cybersecurity practice, working with the CEO's office and product management. Known to be a frontline leader, he takes independent charge and P&L responsibility and heads the retail and CPG business for HCL America. So Vijay, I'll let you uh, share a little bit of your perspective. Thank you, thanks Kyle, and uh, thank you so much uh, for including me as part of the panel. And I totally agree with the perspective uh, which Michael talked about. Uh, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, what we are seeing uh, in the marketplace is that there is so much of disruption which is happening. You know, businesses, they are trying to re redefine themselves. In this scenario, the need of the hour is to create an environment where both the parties, you know, the vendor and the customer, they work as a trusted partner. It is it is coming together and being one team and i and i echo with uh, michael when he says it is not it is not us it is we you know it is one team one goal aligning our objectives to the business needs of the company so where the supplier becomes a trusted partner you know driving the culture of relationship beyond contract if you see uh, it is when you sign such long-term contract, it's like a marriage. We, you have certain objective in mind, but the objective, it's like a moving target. It changes over next 12, 18 months. You should be able to have a culture which is beyond the contract and also driving the culture of ideapreneurship driving the culture of innovation, how both the parties can come together and unlock the value of innovation. That's, that's where my thoughts are, Kai. Okay, great. Thank you, Vijay, very much. And uh, finally, uh, the, uh, the second of our supplier uh, panelists here, David Altoff. He is uh, a senior vice president and SBU leader of Cognizance Insurance Practice based in Chicago. For over 22 years, he's been helping insurance and financial services leaders discover the path to being digital at scale in a way that makes sense for the organizations and their customers. 
It works with clients to infuse digital thinking and technologies into the front, middle, and back office to foster innovation, spur intelligent automation, and create new products and services that fuel business performance. Prior to his current role, he served as a client partner and in, in insurance industry leader with organizations including Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCoopers, IBM Global Services, and Detroit. He's a, uh, got a bachelor's degree from Purdue University, go Big Ten, and his MBA from Northwestern University. He's a recipient of the Distinguished Alumni Award from Purdue University and has been a keynote speaker at several U.S. universities in the Midwest, including Purdue, Northwestern, and Illinois State. So, David, the floor is, is yours to share some perspective. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. So, I, I think very similar to, you know, I, I most certainly kind of echo what, what Michael and BJ had talked about, and maybe the, the one additional aspect that I think we'll probably talk a bit about today is if, if I look at kind of what the expectations are from both customers as well as us as providers, um, not only is it a, an us and, or a, a kind of a we conversation versus, you know, us versus them kind of thing, but I think beyond that, it even starts to get into really blending together the organizations. If much, if you think about how a lot of IT work gets done anymore and a lot of business process services work, it's much more of a move away from individual solutions that do everything and much more into a where's the best of breed? How do I piece these together? How do I become a solid integrator of all the different components that allow me to be a truly differentiated um, value to my consumer, whomever that may be? And I think part of that becomes we also need to bring services to the table that move beyond what used to just be low-cost labor arbitrage and even beyond traditional IT services and much more into the world of how do we actually bring true value-added services to the table. As, as Vijay mentioned, kind of that idea of where is your business trying to go? What are your business objectives? How do we support those through being able to enable kind of resources, both people, dollars, products, whatever they may be, to be able to be able to use as effectively and as efficiently and flexibly as they possibly can. So I think a big element of that becomes a really differentiated experience that says, how do we kind of sidle up next to our clients here and say, how do we both attack this problem? How do we bring the, the value of what we have as a firm across the entire gamut of potential solutions all the way from initial thought and new product through incubator processes, investment services, how that goes all the way then through the traditional IT services, business process services, and really looking at what we do around a managed business process as opposed to just managing a system. So I, I think that's really kind of where this goes. And, and I think a big piece of today's discussion becomes, what does that even mean? How do we measure that? How do you kind of track that relative to the value that's being provided? And how do you really meet the expectations that we both need to have of one another to get the most value out of that? Great. David, thank you. It's interesting. I kind of, I kind of hear in all of this. I, I, I kind of still hear that it, you know, with all the technology we have, it's kind of still about the people. It seems like anyway to me. So, I'm excited to start the conversation. So, Michael, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually pose the first question in, in your direction, and then I'll, I'm gonna ask a, a similar thing from, from the, uh, from the other side. But from a, from a customer perspective, if you think back a couple of years. Um, what were the traditional expectations you had of your suppliers? And, and today, are those expectations just now assumed to always be there? And, and if so, kind of what are the new and or evolving uh, expectations? Yeah, that's a great question, Kyle. And when you, when you look back at the beginning of, of outsourcing, and I, I, I know, gosh, back in 2000, um, when I first uh, did my first outsourcing deal back then, it was an environment of you have to pilot everything, right? There, people weren't weren't sold on uh, outsourcing as a strategic lever, and the only way you could really convince senior executives uh, was with the arbitrage, right? That's all anybody wanted to see. They they got intoxicated in the arbitrage and really didn't want to concentrate on anything else. Um, but then once you did your pilot, you got your proof of concept and, and the arbitrage was real. It was there. Um, but you, you stayed for the quality. And I think that's part of the evolution. They went there for arbitrage. They, we stayed for quality. And then over time, and I'd say in the last you know, five or six years, I see more of a focus where, to your, to your point, arbitrage is some sort of arbitrage is, is assumed. Um, the quality is there. That's why you have the proof of concept. 
the next generation, uh, our companies and companies I've been a part of, we now wanted to leverage it for the, the, the broad industry expertise that the outsourcers have had developed over the past years by getting uh, best in breed, best industry, best practices from all the clients uh, that they've been serving. And now we look for them to help us with a, a leap in modernization, right? A lot of companies have done a lot of M&A work and they've got multiple disparate, um, you know, uh, platforms and, you know, take years for them to figure it out or they can go to some industry experts who, again, have done this for others. Um, it lets uh, the client focus on higher uh, value revenue generating or product development um, while they can go to experts, especially around uh, you know, the IT space and modernization. And then there's also the element where you now look for a partner that could help give you a competitive advantage. So I think it's, it's come a long way from, you know, from arbitrage um, to really being a part of a, a go-forward modernization and competitive advantage strategy. Interesting. Do you, do you think that that is, you know, that whole competitive advantage piece and leap in modernization, is that, is that kind of a, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of types of outsourcing deals uh, around the world. Are you, are you in this case talking more of the kind of the really bigger deals or can you differentiate? Do you think that some deals like this are back in kind of the old days as far as what they're looking for, but are there segments of the industry that are more like this than the other? I'm just curious. Um, I would say that there'd be a focus of more technology dependent um, industries and, and getting the modernization and consolidation of platforms. Um, you know, in, in first, at first for the arbitrage, it was more of the repetitive rote activities, but as the confidence grew when they, um, when clients saw the quality, um, I think there's an equal part of where folks are getting into the boardrooms and conference rooms and saying, all right, what, what are our core uh, activities? What are the core activities that we need to focus on that can really help drive revenue or, or drive us to the next level? And that's when more non-traditional back office operations um, were now being outsourced as well. So. I, I, I think a small deal, um, you know, a, a hundred person BPO deal could give a company as just as much as a strategic advantage by letting them, um, again, gain some of the arbitrage, but direct their focus and concentration on really developing product and, and driving revenue and really focusing on their, their core business and anything that's non-core leveraging that with a, a strategic partner. And again, you know, sometimes making those quantum leaps in, and capabilities, uh, you know, through tech technology. Okay, great. That's uh, that's that's good. That's good to know. So, so VJ, let me let me come to you on this one. I I want to I want to look at this more from from the customer side. Uh, you know, now or now that we've heard from the customer, I'm thinking the supplier perspective on on that same question. You know, what was uh, what were the traditional expectations you had of your customers back then? And again, are those expectations just assumed now to be in place, and and how are, how they involve from from that from your side of the house? Yeah. So, so first of all, I I totally agree with uh, you know Michael in terms of uh, it's a journey from being a vendor uh, to becoming a truly tr trusted partner, and I agree that you know it it's a journey from being a being a supplier to solve the cost issue for the customer, uh, then becoming, a, you know, becoming a revenue partner. Can you help uh, in terms of driving the or solving my revenue problem? You know, so can you become a revenue partner? It's no longer expecting IT SLAs of uptime, but more focus on revenue growth focus on zero outages, you know, no disruption to the business. But looking from a supplier perspective, the expectation from the customer is that, you know, and this is purely my perspective, is try not to judge what your supplier is doing from a point of distrust, you know. Customers who have succeeded in this uh, relationship with the suppliers have have complete trust that their supplier is on their side. 
So trust is one of the core, uh, you know, component or ingredient, you know. We have seen, you know, customers tend to box the suppliers based on what their perception is of the supplier. And what happens is that that limits the supplier's ability to get maximum value, you know, from the provider, you know. So it, it limits themselves to bring the entire power might of the company. You know, so I think, you know, it's the the point is to be being fair and discussion with the supplier does not always have to be a zero sum game. You know, customers who have approached the relationship in a more open frame of mind, you know, tend to get the best out of service provider. Uh, and while also when you are structuring the contract with the supplier, please make sure that the scope is very tightly locked in. Some of the customers, they prefer the scope to be written at a very macro level with a lot of gray areas, you know, by okay. design to allow some discussions and adjustment. What happens is this invariably results in misunderstanding and it leads to unnecessary heartburn, which we have seen, you know. Mm-hmm. It is it is always advisable to tell your supplier your goals. You know, it's okay to do that. You know, service provider do use that information very wisely to a larger part, you know. And uh, I think, you know, we should always look for opportunities for mutual success. Okay. So, that's that's Sorry, my perspective. Okay, yeah. no, that's, that's excellent. So... So, you know, your a lot of your experience is, is in the whole, uh, you know, the CPG spaces and, and I look at, uh, and retail and I look at David kind of in the insurance side, David, is that, is that similar or, or the same in, in the insurance side, uh, for you? Uh, and does that align, you know, really well with what VJ talked about? Does it, does it matter what the vertical is when it comes to that? Uh, I, I don't think it necessarily matters what the vertical is so much. I mean, I, I completely agree with kind of the points that BJ made, um, you know, and, and I think as you, as you kind of think about the work that we do, the, the bigger piece I think becomes um, along those lines of trust. And I think BJ said it very well, right? Which is look, none, none of us benefit by, for lack of a better word, trying to get one over on the other party, right? So I think there's a lot of times where there's a general belief based on kind of some of the past years of, of doing work with people that becomes a, you know, I'm sure you've got an angle here. How does the angle play out for the best of you? And I think the bottom line is, is kind of that, that topic of being a good customer is truly you really do need to trust your provider. I mean, it, it, does, it does us no good to not have our ability to get you to where you want to go as fast, as efficiently, and as effective as you could possibly get there. Because I think like anything, we look at all this and say, look, our business is built at this point, and I don't mean to give this too much of a short shrift, but by and large, all of the large providers have all sorts of capabilities, right? We, we all are very capable of doing a lot of different things. And really the magic to that comes from how do we match with you on a personal basis? How do we fit the needs of what you need us to be? How do you take those pieces and parts and get out of them what you need from there. And, and to Vijay's point, there's some areas where, look, you need to be very specific about what you're asking to have done so that we can be very clear about how we build the most effective team to do that. And there's some other areas where you may say, look, a little bit of gray is okay, as long as we know we're partners and we know we're in this together, because what we generally try to tie all that to is, what is that business goal? How do we help you get there? What can we best bring to the table? And the, the probably the biggest piece to me is, once you've got the contracting and things done, then it moves into let's really have a relationship. And just like you would with your internal business partners, help me understand what is the problem you're trying to deal with. And, and I'll give you a very simple example. We've got a lot of clients at times that will come and say, you know, you guys just gave me, um, I don't know, an, an increased invoice for, for some, something that you did. Well, I don't think that you really did what I expected you to do. Can you cut that in half? And that's going to naturally just be a conflict as opposed to maybe coming and saying, you know what, I've got some cost pressures. I'm trying to find a way to cut half a million dollars out of my budget. Can you help me do that? I mean, that's a very simple example, but that goes all the way up to as well of understanding, you know, I'm really struggling with how to get the most out of the new, like out of tomorrow's consumer, right? What is the millennial generation looking for here? 
Um, you know, how can I get the most out of my distribution channels? Understanding what the actual business problem is, the real value I think that we bring to the table is we do this time and time and time again, not only in our own verticals, but you know, look, I have my counterparts across the other verticals that I work in. So we all talk to each other. Um, we all know each other. We all talk about the kinds of problems that each other are facing and how can we best leverage what we do? What are some of those unique solutions? So, so that idea of being able to say, look, if you speak to us from the standpoint of here's my problem, then we can help you. And we are absolutely typically incented to try to help you find a very creative solution to those things. And, and again, I think the core belief of that is because, and I'm sure everybody in, in this panel believes the same thing, which is if we do well by you, and that, that at times means, you know, kind of cannibalizing our own revenue at clients and other things is perfectly fine. Because the idea there is if you feel good about what we just did, you're going to want more of that. That's the bottom line of this. So I think it really does boil down to how do we best do that? How do we best get you there? How do we best enable you to say, here's what I need you to be now in this area versus that area? And our ability to say, yep, I, sh I can do that. Here's how we work to get you there. And, and here's how I can help get you to whatever that next step may be. Got it. Trust yeah, in the and, truth, and, right? <laughs> yeah, and Kyle, you know, just to add to what David said, you know, if you see, nobody saw a recession coming in in 2007, 2008, you know, and uh, the companies were uh, in long-term contract with the supplier. You know, either it was a hosting contract or an outsourcing right. contract, you know, and uh, especially on manufacturing and retail CPG, we had seen the revenues of the companies falling 10 to 15% quarter on quarter. The expectation from the business was that go and talk to your supplier and ask them to reduce the cost. But the number of servers stayed the same. Number of calls coming to the you know, service desk was same. Number of network or security gears were same. So there were suppliers who never looked into the contract and they did what was right for the client at the time, for the customer at the time, right. you know? And with an expectation that when you go up, when things improve, you will reciprocate the same. And that's the, that's the culture, that's the relationship beyond contract, which we are looking for. Got it. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of sense to me. So, yeah. uh, so when it comes to um, you know these expectations and the way they have evolved and and the direction they've evolved in, and I'm sure that some of those are simply non-negotiable. I am curious, and and I th I think actually. VJ, I'll stay with you on this one. I want to get your, your thoughts quickly. Um, why, why do you think that these expectations that we've talked about that have evolved in the, in the way they have, and are there some that are just not negotiable? Um, or, or do they depend on project size, timeline, expertise? It's probably a big question, but I'm, I'm curious what you think the reason is that these expectations have evolved how they have. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you know, one of the key reasons for, you know, the, expect, the way the expectations have evolved over a period of time is, as I said earlier, uh, during the start of uh, my introduction was that if you see there is so much of disruption which is happening in the marketplace, the business models are changing, companies are trying to redefine themselves, you know, uh, especially on the retail CPG side. You know, it is companies that are trying to impact the entire ecosystem, you know, and one of the key, key enablers in order to impact the ecosystem is through technology. You know, so the lines between, you know, the retail and CPG is blurring. You know, the CPG companies are trying to get as closer uh, to the consumer as possible. We have examples, you know, so we have like, for example, the Dollar Shape Club. It's become a poster child with respect to D D2C, you know. Yeah. So yeah. technology is defining the way you want to do the business. And we have so many examples in front of us, like Airbnb, Uber, you know, putting the customer in front, in, in forefront. So the new expectation is all about driving innovation. It is all about, you know, enhancing the end user experience. It is all about creating an outcome-based engagement model. 
you know so expectations from customers are evolving in line with what i stated about you know Got it. there is no leeway or traditional ways of delivering projects it is it is it has to be now more agile with clear definition of timeline outcome you know delivered through next gen skill set you know so you know so that's that's my thought is you know Kyle. okay um michael would that be different from from the uh, customer side no actually it's it's right aligned uh with the customer side and you know everything that you're hearing and we're talking about today right is how the dynamic of the relationship is changing right and clients need to recognize that and be prepared to support it and and nurture all the relationship dynamics um and you you would ask a question um you know about size or or uh, the program or the type of program for for the relationship to be successful and i think vj you had said it you know it begins with the contracting having clear language in the contract, you know, on, on what you expect. Um, for the client, it, it's, it's really critical in the selection process. And, and um, Kyle, I think you were alluding to this, right? Is it, um, it, it's the right relationship. And when you're out there selecting a partner, um, it's critical for the client to select a partner uh, that's right size, right size for themselves as an organization um, especially if they're just starting uh, in outsourcing. And I think one of the pitfalls that clients fall into is um, they get blinded by, they go for the big marquee as opposed to the, the better match. So um, that, that's something you have to understand, your relationship, you have to understand where you are in your maturation life cycle because um, you're, you're only gonna get the level of service that's commensurate with your, your spend and your revenue, right? Um, yeah. And, and it's and it's going to be hard. And then what happens is you you have these um, missed expectations um, if you're if you're you're selecting a, a supplier that quite honestly is 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 too big and too advanced um, for where you are in your cycle. Um, but building that trust and confidence is is critical. Um, that's how the relationship gets off on on the right step. Got it. Well, that, and and that makes sense. And actually, we're we're going to kind of ask. Uh, you know, a question around what you just talked about a little bit later, but I'm, I'm going to go now since you kind of started down that path. Let me, I want to come back to David and uh, talk a little bit, you know, from the, from the supplier perspective, uh, is there really a best fit in, in the supplier's mind between customer and supplier size, whether it's size of company, do you want to be the big fish in the small pond or the small fish in the big pond, you know, and elaborate what you think about that. I'd love to get your, your take on that. Sure, sure. So I, I don't know that I would say there is a a right fit. I mean, look, as as a provider, you know, obviously I say everybody could be a client. So so it's, it's, it's the salesman in me. But yeah. um, but but I would say there there is absolutely truth to the conversation of understanding what it is that you want out of the supplier. So if the idea there is, look, I want to give you know a company like whether it's HCL or Cognizant or any of kind of let's call them like the, the larger outsourcers that are out there. And say, look, I want you guys to come in and do a million-dollar project, but I'm going to expect you to bring every single thought piece and every single practice that you've got, and and just kind of educate me on all of these different things because you're in my building. That's where it's just a misaligned expectation, right? And it's it's not about revenue necessarily. I know what we try to look at is, and when we mean this, which is we look at the relationship much more through the lens of what's the value we're truly providing. So you know, we we try to say a lot. Look, we're we're not in. The, the single shingle outsourcing business. We try not to just be um, kind of like body based. I tell people all the time, if I, I like the fact that our, our customers may be very happy with the people that we have on the ground, but if they're looking at them single as a single person and saying, I get value out of that person, then we've missed what we are there to do. And, and what I ask of our clients a lot is in those early conversations, it becomes, what are you really looking for from us? Are you looking for us to help you with a project? Are you looking for us to be a thought leader for you? Are you looking for us to just take cost out of the equation? Or are you looking for us to truly be a partner with what you're trying to accomplish? And if it's the, if the answer is yes to kind of that last piece, then I think it's much more intriguing to us, especially in today's environment with all the really kind of the real big changes relative to, you know, digital solutions and what does tomorrow's consumer look for? What are those non-traditional business models that exist out there? I mean, and I think BJ touched on this as well as Michael touching on this, which is 
the industry really is changing a lot, right? And, and it's the expectation around being able to say, I, I really do want to look at some unique ways of getting the solution, getting you as a provider and a partner some skin in the game, and actually having us really be a part of that growth of the organization, right? We've got a lot of clients now where we've definitely moved kind of past the traditional outsourcing contracting and, and in much more to, again, what we kind of call managed business models, which is how does your business perform? What is your net promoter score? What's the growth of a given business unit? And we're responsible for those things. And we should be able to bring, uh, uh, you know, capabilities kind of across the gamut for that. So I, I do think a big piece of it really is kind of saying just what is it that your expectation is? Do we truly feel we can meet that? And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give, again, a very simple example. If someone were to say, you know, I really do like what you guys do. I worked with you in the past. And this happens pretty often where people say, I worked with you in the past. We had a big relationship. I really liked what Cognizant did. But I'm in a new role now. It's a smaller company. What I need is just a couple of people to help me with something. And maybe in two or three years, that might migrate into something else. But I need to help educate my company. That's where we'll traditionally look at that and say, you know, we're probably not the right fit for that because you're gonna get frustrated because you want all of the things that you have experience with us for. But we're gonna look at that and say, look, every person I walk into the building costs me money. So, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of you just don't spend enough, but it's, you know, look, it's, I gotta really kind of start to question where am I applying my resources? This has become such a robust um, industry where, where kind of the outsourcing model isn't unique anymore. So we do have to be very careful about where can we apply our resources in the best for our own business in addition to how do we do that for our customers. So, and I do think there's a, the last maybe last piece of this answer is the key important piece of that is we try to look at that and say, let's not enter into a customer if we don't think we can do that because they're going to get frustrated. We're not going to be able to deliver on that expectation and it's just going to harm our relationships for the potential future. We'd be better off saying, we're probably not the right one for you. Maybe here's somebody else who might be, or if you'd like to do this in this kind of way, we might be the right customer or the right provider for you, just because then again, those expectations are aligned. Hey, David, it. this is Michael. You, you, just, you just hit on something I'm very passionate about. One of the challenges, and we've talked about this at the IOP um, in, in the past couple of years, is as a client, that is music to my ears. That is the single fastest way to build trust with, with me in a, a client-provider um, relationship when you have the confidence in your company's ability to tell me, hey, this isn't the right one or at the right time or, hey, this isn't our, our core responsibility. Um, very, too often, and, and I'm sure when we get to Q&A, other um, uh, clients out there will, will ask the same thing we fall into the trap and it erodes trust when our, when our providers say that they could do everything and, and they get somewhat annoyed if we're even talking about another provider that may specialize in that. So um, anyway, you, you hit on something I'm very passionate about that builds instant trust uh, with me when a provider says, Hey, you know what? This probably isn't our core thing. You may want to go here for a better result. Yeah, excellent. Good, good perspective on that. So, Michael, let me let me stay with you on on this next question. Uh, you know, they always say it, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And so, what I'm thinking about here is, you know, what are the best ways to ensure that this whole customer supplier relationship actually gets off on the right foot? And I think part of part of that last answer could be could be part of that. Hey, we're not we're not it right now, and or maybe we are. But yeah, what what are some keys that you would you would uh, supply for that? I would go right back to what VJ uh, said in one of his earlier responses is that like any relationship, th this is like a, a marriage, right? And you have to treat it like that. It has to be a win-win right from the beginning. It, and it's going to take work to build trust and have communications and each party has to be willing you know, to compromise. And really the long-term value creation is only achieved when each party is committed to a bilateral um, relationship. Um, so for me, it's, it's kind of like I use the analogy, you know, with my team, um, we need to have a win-win relationship and it starts with the contract. Um, if we're going to expect our providers to innovate and, and bring advances to our program, well, we have to compensate them fairly. Um, the last thing I want is my provider coming into work every day thinking, all right, man, how do I keep my job because I signed this deal with such slim margins? 
Um, if we're expecting innovation and we're expecting a talent, we have to pay for a talent. Otherwise, if you don't do that, it just creates noise in the relationship, you know, right from the beginning. And um, and the last thing you want to do is pull out that contract a month into the relationship. And that analogy I use with my team is you're not going to be married for 90 days and then go pull out the nuptials on the breakfast table and said, hey, you said you were going to do this. Um, you know, you, you've got to look at it like VJ said, these are long term deals, long term relationships. Um, there's going to be fault on both sides. Um, but if there's a clear business strategy with well-defined qualitative and quantitative expectations in the contract and everybody knows it's, you know, we're going to hit some bumps, but we keep our eye on the prize to me that, that, that is critical in building long-term trust and confidence, uh, as partners. Got it. Got it. So, so VJ, let me, let me come to you on, on SLA, since you're out there in the marketplace talking to customers and selling to them the right, um, the right uh, outsourcing engagement for, for them based on their business needs. So we all know that SLAs are important, you know, but they obviously are expectations that, that a customer has, and um, they just cover kind of the service the customers bought, but there are so many other types of value from an outsourcing relationship that are not service level agreements. How do you guys work together, customer and supplier, to make sure that you that everybody gets full value out of that relationship. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, you know, I say I say it like SLAs are great. They keep uh, good check and balance on how we are performing, how how the supplier is performing. But the focus is evolving more towards outcome based innovation and driving revenue growth, as we as all of us you know talked about earlier. It is all about like, you know, how we can go about avoiding the watermelon effect in a relationship. When I say watermelon, it is from outside, we have, you know, everything is green. You know, the, the supplier is meeting all the SLAs, but what is happening, the business is not happy. It's the red from inside. How we go about in terms of creating an environment which is driving business SLAs, outcome-based, you know, where I'm able to provide business uptime, where the supplier is able to elevate overall experience. You know, how we go about shifting from operational SLAs to experience-based, outcome-based, you know, SLAs. So let me, let me give you, you know, some examples. And these are, these are like in any large outsourcing contract, there are multiple providers today. You know, I'm, I'm sure Michael will echo, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, Michael will echo with me, is that there will be multiple providers and each of these providers are just focused on meeting their own SLAs, you know. But end of the day, you have business applications which are down, you know, and the, and the customer is suffering. You know, there are outages, but who, who is taking the responsibility? So it is, it is, can we create a forum where together all the suppliers come together and define business SLAs and they have their equal skin in the game in terms of working towards achieving business uptime. We have, you know, and we have seen such, uh, you know, mechanism working uh, in some of the customers where we go about measuring experience-based SLAs, you know, it is like turn the dial model where maybe 70% of the uh, fee is associated with operational SLAs, 30% outcome-based in year one of the engagement. As we move forward, we turn the dial, you know, and we make more and more fees associated with experience and outcome-based. Mm -hmm. That's like driving the culture, you know, of outcome-based, business-based SLAs. I'm gonna stop here. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So, so Michael, from the from the customer side, what's um, I mean, you guys want the SLAs in the contract, so I'm, uh, and obviously you, you, those are important. But you, there's other things you're looking for too. Well, how would you answer that same question? Uh, working together uh, to obtain the full value of the of the relationship. 
Yeah, obviously having SLAs um, is is a critical element. And like I said, it, it doesn't need to be dwelled on, but it does need to be there as part of the a part of the contract. It's you know there's internal policy, there's regulatory um, expectations that you would have that that kind of uh, guardrails in a contract to um, to support the output. Um, but again, you know, everything is going to more of like a managed services or, or business services. And, and the, as a client, we need to, to manage the, what, uh, the, what is the output versus the who or how many are, are doing it and, and how many are done. Um, and, and what's critical to be able to do this, right. There's those of us that are in outsourcing a third party risk, but our business partners, uh, a lot of them, especially those doing it for the very first time, this is a new dynamic from them, for them going from managing people right outside their door to managing a third party that outcomes. So part of this is what can we do to be better clients? Uh, we recognize where we actually have to provide real training and change management um, to all the folks that will be uh, interfacing with our partner um, you know, during the selection, during the deal, but most importantly, um, after. Uh, they also have to have uh, the good working relationships uh, with the partner and, and, and building that, that trust and confidence. So it's preparing our organization to operate differently and for us to have a real clear understanding of our business strategy and what our benefit expectations are, and then being very open and and transparent uh, with our partner that this is how internally we're going to measure success uh, above and beyond, um, you know, service level agreements. And, and I know VJ, you know, used the watermelon analogy. To me, service level um, agreements are kind of like leading indicators of how the overall uh, relationship is is going. Right? You you can fix SLAs, right? There, that's not rocket science. Um, but very often, once a relationship goes bad, that's much harder uh, to fix. So I, I think continuing that open, honest communication, having clear governance, and like I said, clearly defined qualitative and quantitative value expectations, um, and, and that's what we look at as a client, that we have to be very uh, transparent with the, with the expectations and ultimately how we're going to be valuing the relationship. Got it. You know, we actually have a a, a question from uh, one of our one of our listeners here, uh, and it's really around uh, how the third party advisors are driving the buyer patterns. You know, compared to the direct dealing with the buyers, and and as one of the things we've talked about is this is this is very much like life, I guess. It's very much a relationship business, and building those relationships and understanding whether there's a good fit relationship wise is an important uh, aspect of a great, um, a great uh, uh, relationship. So how do, how does it change when the advisors are involved in all of that upfront process? And does it, uh, does it make it easier, make it more difficult? And I, I'm going to leave that open to just about anyone who wants to step in and answer that. Uh, so hey, this is Dave. I'll I'll be happy to maybe take a first first pass at it. Okay. Um, so I, I I think there's actually I think there's actually value. There's there's good and bad to all of it, right? And I say that through this lens. I think I think third party advisors can be very helpful to customers think through the the complexities of the things that they are about to get into. So I think there's a lot of value from that from the standpoint of of you know look what exactly is it that you're trying to do? You have to think about the things that you're trying to get at. Um, you know, how do you include all the elements and what should you be thinking about as, as to the various strengths and weaknesses of some of the providers that are out there or anything else? So I think that that idea of saying don't try to learn this on your own, um, because to be honest, with you, it's gotten so complex and kind of so overwhelming at times that, that the idea of just saying, hey, we'll figure it out as we go is probably going to put you in a negative position. But I would say then the flip side of that becomes, and this is maybe the negative if you want to think about it, is is when you start though, I think at times like anything, some of the advisors can fall into the trap of saying a deal is a deal is a deal, right? So we hear all the time, well, I know you've agreed to this before, or I, I know, you know, and, and we have clients that will say, well, look, I know there are advisors telling us that, that, you know, that you guys have done this before, so why, why won't you do it for us? 
And first and foremost, I almost always feel like saying that you do realize they're in breach of contract for telling you that for one, but then two, <laughs> every deal is different. And that's really the point that I was making before, which is what is it that you're looking to accomplish out of this? There are elements that we might say, look, I'm willing to maybe accept a little bit more risk on something because I know you're looking for me to push the bounds. And if I know we're partners in that journey, I'm okay with that. But vice versa, it might be a client that I know is going to hold hold up the contract every day and say, this is what you signed up for. This is what I want out of you. You either do it or I want penalties against this. You know, people that look at kind of in the earlier to the conversation on SLAs, if you're looking at those as punitive things where you say, I'm going to drive my cost down by charging penalties to, the, to, to my provider, those are the things that will start to drive wedges into the cracks, right? And the way I used to always yeah, look at yeah. it was you say, look, we try to build our, our relationship on a solid foundation, but it's like water that gets into the cracks of that that then freezes and it starts to just spread them out. And if, as you get cold with one another, the water expands, the cracks get bigger, and eventually pieces start falling off. So that's kind of how I've looked at it through the years to say, look, I think there's a lot of value to those third-party providers, but there are some, some things you just need to be careful of when you do it that says, make sure they're keeping your needs in mind, make sure they're understanding the nuances of what you want out of that provider. And then maybe the last piece is if you use them as a go-between between between us as providers and you as a customer, you're going to inherently lose a lot of value. So I do think you still need to make sure you're very open, very clear, answer questions that we ask. I mean, I don't know how many times we've heard, we've already passed the question phase of this. You can't ask any more questions. And I kind of look at it and go, well, that seems silly. (laughs) So, you know, if, if we're trying to clarify what you're asking for here, you should want me to be as clear as I can possibly be. So, so those are things that say there's three parties there. Make sure they all are working in concert for your best interest. Because if it's adversarial, the one thing I can guarantee you is you're not going to get what you're looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love the analogy about the water and the cracks. You know, living in a place where we have bottles like crazy, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Michael, from the customer side, you guys a lot of times are bringing the advisors to the table. Uh, what, where, what would your viewpoint be on that? Oh, I agree with David. As a client, you have to establish uh, that relationship regardless of whether you're using an advisor to help you through the process. And um, again, I think it goes back to being self-aware as an organization and as a client where you are in your outsourcing uh, maturity life cycle and, and what you're, you're about to engage in, in, uh, in an outsourcing deal on. If it's something cutting edge that you, you, you haven't done or haven't done uh, for yourself, then I think it's very advisable to, to use an advisor who knows uh, the key players in the market, knows the, um, you know, the current operating models and, and to help you avoid you know, some of those uh, potholes. Um, and then there's situations where you have to look and, you know, if this is someone that's taking this on, unfortunately, in an organization as a night job, then it definitely uh, helps to have that, that guidance and support through that process. If you're more dedicated and it's something uh, that you've already outsourced and you're looking to expand, then, you know, then maybe you don't need that enhanced, uh, you know, external support. So I think it starts with just understanding what you are trying to do. Do you have any internal expertise in in that competency and and where you are in your your life cycle? Um, And then make that a decision on on using a provider, but I think they can add tremendous value in the right situations, or it can be for convenience. Got it, got it. Well, so as I as I knew, we we certainly have a lot more questions than we we have time for, and I was actually originally going to end with something on from both perspectives, kind of outlining what a strong relationship looks like. I think that'll take a while, and uh, you know, is there one element that rises above all else? But I think I'm, I'm going to pass on that. We do have one more question from the audience, and I, I think this is probably uh, really relevant here. Um, and the question really is, and I, I'd love to get just the quick, if possible, 30 to 45 seconds from each of you on this, and, uh, and then we're going to do a quick wrap-up because wrap up we have four minutes left. So the question really is, has been, there's, there's been an emphasis on the trust relationship and that kind of thing in this, in this web meeting. How would you, let's say you lost trust, let's say it it went away, how would you rebuild trust with a customer? Um, I I guess I'll probably uh, start with my my suppliers. VJ, how would you rebuild trust? 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you see, uh, one of the core ingredients of trust is being transparent. And being transparent over a period of time builds the trust. So if you have lost the trust, you know, try to bring in more transparency. Be honest with your supply, with your customer. And that's the way you will be able to earn trust. You know, that's, that's, that's my thought. Okay. I, I like that. David, how would you answer that? Sorry about that. I had to mute there for a second. Um, okay. I, I, I would agree. So I, I, do, I would say, suppose, look, if, if trust is kind of broken down, I think there's an element by which you, you really need to be honest with both parties where I always kind of say it this way. You both need to kind of be the adult in the room that says, look, we know what happened and, and hopefully you both kind of know where things maybe went awry. But we say, look, let's, let's not focus on the past. Let's focus on the future. Let's reset where we are right here. Here's what has happened in the past. This is why we kind of tended to lose lose the trust that we had in one another, let's both commit to kind of turning that around. And on, on the provider side, that means if it's things like, hey, maybe delivery didn't go so well, then, then let's beef up where we are there. Let's put some, I always kind of say, let's overclub that problem for a while. So, and, and, on, the, and on the customer side, the same thing. If it becomes, you know, look, I, you, I can't have bad mouthing. I mean, as an example, I've had a customer in the past that, that, you know, started sending pictures around of like kindergarten people to their own staff saying, this is, you know, our team trying to solve problems. And there's oh, things man. like that that just don't help, right? So, yeah. so it's those things that say, so we know what happened. Let's stop those behaviors. Let's both commit to this. And I do think there's a certain level of which it has to happen at an executive level as well. I mean, that's where I get involved in a lot of these things at times and say, I'm going to be here. I am going to oversee this with people. I'm going to make sure we've got the right things going on. And if anybody steps out of line from my team, I'm going to put them back in their place so that we all make sure that that, that kind of accountability is there to turn the relationship around and have very specific checkpoints around how are we doing, what else are we doing around this, and how do we make sure that we're both getting the most out of where we're going. Yeah, it certainly does take good, good leadership to, to make that happen, it sounds like. So, so Michael, um, maybe as a customer, you've uh, had some suppliers and they've lost some trust, uh, in, or you've lost some trust in them. What have they done to re-earn yours? Absolutely be transparent. Um, they've come in and say, hey, this is not what we expected. This is not how we deliver. Um, this is this is the root cause. And um, this is this is our plan to uh, remediate it. And then I feel our responsibility as a client is not to look at that incident with dollar signs. Um, like I believe David was saying, we can't look at everything uh, punitively. And um, you can't pull out that that contract, right? Um, right? You know, that contract tends to be a hammer. You know, when everything looks like a nail, uh, be very transparent, very honest, and, and say, hey, we're we're all in this together. And again, it takes that executive leadership to say, hey, nobody said this thing was going to go perfectly. We this shouldn't be a surprise to us that something happened. It should be a surprise to us if we can't all get around the table and fix it. Oh, actually, I love that last. I love that last comment. That's I'm going to use that, and I'm going to I'm going to reference you if you don't mind. I think that's fantastic. Well, um, we're at our we're we're just within a few seconds of our stop time. I I want to thank Michael, VJ, and David for this discussion. You have been absolutely fantastic. You've raised amazing points. Uh, it's good to see that uh, that you're all in agreement. Uh, adults are in agreement. It's uh, it's kind of a we thing. Like we're all in this together. And it's very evident to me that you share very similar views. So uh, I, I just want to thank, I'm sure the audience has given you a big virtual applause right now. I'm, I'm sorry you can't hear that. I can only hear it on the, on the side uh, piece of my headphone here, all that applause. So I hope to see, uh, uh, I think Michael will probably see at IOP maybe in February. I don't know if we'll see VJ and David. I hope so. But uh, I just want to wrap this up by, um, by, just quickly talking about the, the, the chapter stuff that's come up, sales and marketing chapter. We have some meetings that we're looking at for 2019 and 2020, but what we're, even though we have topics laid out there, what we really want are, are topics that you want to hear. So we're looking for panelists. We're looking for presenters. We're looking for additional relevant topics. Kind of same goes for the voice of the customer chapter. They're, they're looking at some things that are next, but in the end of the day, they want the topics that you want to hear about. So, 
a special thanks to the panelists, special thanks to Sherry and Nicole for helping us put this on. I've really enjoyed uh, being a part of this, and I hope that you'll keep an eye out for the next uh, web meetings from both the Voice of the Customer chapter and the Sales and Marketing chapter. So everyone have a fantastic day or night, wherever you are, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.